Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. My name is Ben. I'm filling in today. Uh, we're so grateful for this this time. Did you know that 77% of Americans self-identify as lonely? And there are so many people, I get emails all the time, the percentages are just rising with people that are not only struggling with loneliness, but also battling depression and anxiety and their mental health. And so this afternoon, we're super excited to talk to Pastor Paul Doherty. He's got a lot of things. God's doing amazing things in his life. He's a lead pastor of Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He uh, has a, a Bible college, a, a Christian school for kids, K through 12th grade, a dream center that ministers to those in need throughout Tulsa. I mean, the list goes on and on. Pastor Paul, we were joking before you came on that maybe you could use a nap um, because God's using you in the in the most amazing ways. But we're so grateful today. You have this new book out. It's called Mind Games. And it's about winning the battle for your mental and emotional health. And so, first of all, Pastor Paul, thanks for coming to uh, and, and speaking with us here on Faith Radio during the Afternoons with Bill Show. Hey, absolutely. I'm honored to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. So what inspired you to write this book about mind games? Honestly, it was my own journey. I... I mean, you talked about me needing a nap after all those things you listed. I didn't even get through like a quarter of the list. (laughs) And I got five kids, too, under the age of nine or just one. Our oldest turned 10. So that adds to the list of reasons for a nap. But, um, yeah, I grew up in this world. I was a pastor's kid. And before I was born, my parents had already started the church. They pioneered it in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, And... It became the fastest growing church in the nation in the 80s and 90s. It grew to 10, 14,000 people by the time I was uh, in middle school. And it was just this huge ministry. It was more than a church. It was like an outreach center that we had for the poor. It was a school, kindergarten through 12th grade, a Bible college, and then this huge camp out in the wilderness. And and it was a lot. My, my dad was a visionary. He was just a really um, a, an amazing leader. And then when I was 23, I graduated college and I loved serving in the church. I had volunteered my whole life. When you're a pastor's kid, you're free labor. So you just work for the church and don't get paid. And so when I was 23, I graduated college and I finally got uh, an opportunity to work on staff with my dad. And it was like my dream to go and serve with him and help in the youth and the young adults in college and and it's what I had studied for theology and went to seminary. And so I was excited to serve. And then he got sick. And I remember getting a phone call from my mom saying, your dad's in the hospital. And I said, who's he visiting? Cause he would make hospital visits every week as a pastor and he would go pray for the church members. And he was just a really good local pastor. Like he wasn't just a great speaker. He was really good at like loving the individual. And I said, who's he praying for? And she said, no, Paul, you need to come up here. Your dad's in the hospital. And it dawned on me like, oh my goodness, my hero, my pastor, my dad 
who I've never seen sick in my life is in the hospital. And I went up there and the doctor said, um, he has stage four lymphoma cancer Mm -hmm. and your dad is dying. And I remember just losing it, started weeping, just collapsed. And I thought, no, like, what are you talking about? And then I find out that same day that he had been battling it for a year and didn't tell anybody that he had secretly been, um, battling it and it had gotten worse and he kept preaching every Sunday through, through this, you know, secret battle with cancer. And it just sent me spiraling into anxiety and fear and discouragement. And then I was trying to pray, you know, my dad would say, Hey, don't worry. We believe in Jesus name that God's going to heal me by his stripes. I am healed. And I remember, you know, praying and trying to keep the faith. And for seven weeks, we, we would just show up every day in the hospital sometimes stay the night, take turns. I'm the youngest of four siblings. And we were all, you know, up there praying for him. And then he needed help on the weekends for people to preach. And it was the first time he would preach every Sunday of the year. Like he was one of those guys that never missed a Sunday. And so for the first time, our church was experiencing their pastor out of the pulpit. And I remember it was really hard. And then it got worse because we all thought he was going to get healed and he died suddenly. And the last public thing he did was my wedding right before he died. And there was intense pressure. Our church, it was right in the winter season. So things were already kind of dark, you know, and it was like everybody's expectation and hope that he was going to get out of the hospital and come back. And he was 57 years old. So they were like, he'll beat this. He'll overcome it. And when it didn't happen, it just sent our church into a shock. Thousands of people left. Uh, giving went down tremendously. And we had to lay off uh, like a ton of our employees, you know, 35, 40 percent of our employees. We had to lay off. We couldn't afford to keep them on staff. And then there was conversations happening with our board. Of, you know, we're going to have to shut down the school. We're going to have to shut down this Bible college. We can't afford to keep the Dream Center, the soup kitchen, serving the poor downtown. We can't afford to pay the employees. And it was like all of these walls were closing in. And I was young and I felt extremely like unqualified to step in my dad's shoes. And yet the board was telling me, hey, Paul, you're the next pastor. You're the future pastor of this church. And my mom stepped in during an interim season just to try to steady the ship and help me get prepared. But things were getting worse. And I remember just accepting this mental battle in my head. I had all these mind games of insecurity. I'm not good enough. I won't get through this. And then it was the mind games of depression. Just I don't even feel like getting out of bed. I don't even feel like going to church. I don't feel like getting up today. I don't feel like living. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, I just immediately went into this spiral of depression and fear and anxiety and hopelessness. And I didn't know what to do. Um, And this this lasted for probably three years that I was in this battle. And during this time, I. I remember trying to come up to the church many times just to come up here and pray and cry and read my Bible. And I felt the closest to my dad after he died. I felt the closest to him, not at the graveyard, not at the gravestone, but in the church, because that's where he spent a lot of his time. And so I would come up here and just cry. And I would, I don't know, I would talk to God, but then I would also like, honestly, talk 
as if my dad was still listening and I would just be like, dad, I wish you were here. Things would be better. People wouldn't leave. And, um, I was dealing with all these mind games, right. Of like defeat, despair, depression, anxiety, panic, all of it. And right before he passed away, he gave me a key to my office. He said, Paul, this is the key to your office. Anytime you need to get up to your office and pray. Um, it also works on my office too. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. And I had forgotten about that. And after he passed, I oftentimes was locked out of multiple rooms, multiple doors of the church. I would have to call a janitor security guard and say, Hey, can you let me in? I'm just trying to get in late at night just to pray when nobody's here. And they would say, why didn't your dad give you the keys to the building? And I was like, I don't know, you know, but it doesn't matter anymore. And they were like, why wouldn't your, you know, mom give you the keys to the building? I was like, I don't know. She just said, I don't need them now. And I remember going through these mind games of thinking, I'm not just locked out of our church and locked out of our church is called victory. I felt locked out of victory physically, but also locked out of victory spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. I felt like I didn't have the keys to access a life that was free of depression. And yet I would read stories in the Bible and hear testimonies on stage of other people conquering, you know, their own mind games, walking in victory, seeing God's restoration, freedom, joy, peace, you know, and I remember just thinking, man, that sounds amazing, but I don't have the keys to that. And that went on for a couple of years while I was serving in the church on staff. And, and yet as a pastor and as a leader, here I am secretly battling these mind games of depression. And one night I remember trying to get into the building. My mom's the interim pastor during the season. I'm the associate pastor, I, which is embarrassing that I don't have the keys and our church is in a really tough season, tough time here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I remember trying to get into the church that night, but no janitor was around. And I called the, the security guard and he said, hey, I'm locking up the doors on the other side of town at one of our um, Dream Center buildings. And he said, it's going to be an hour before I can get back to South Tulsa. And so he said, you'll just have to wait. And I remember waiting and I tried to you know, just pray outside the building. It was cold. And I thought, okay, I can't wait any longer. I got to get into victory. So I start trying to like pound and break through the door. I'm like pounding the door. I don't know what I was thinking. It's a glass door. I thought maybe I would break it and then pay for it later. And I actually hurt my fist. I couldn't get through the glass. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to shimmy my credit card between the cracks of the door and try to pick the lock. And I break my credit card. And so then I'm like, oh, once again, a reminder of I don't have what it takes and I can't fill my dad's shoes and things are going to get worse and I'm going to ruin my dad's legacy and all these negative thoughts like our best days are behind us, all these fear filled, honestly, just depressing thoughts. And then I thought, OK, I'm going to go through the ring of keys I have and I'm just going to see if any of my keys can at least try to help this lock move a little bit and then I'll yank the door open. So I tried my car key, then my house key. Then I had my mom's house key. And then I looked at my office key. I was like, oh, there's this key that goes to my office and also unlocks my dad's office. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to shove it in there, wiggle it around, try to yank the door open. And when I shoved it in, it fit perfectly. And I thought that's strange. And then I turned it and unlocked the outside door of our main campus. And I thought, oh my goodness, did, did God just morph my key? Did he just transform my key? 
And then I thought, I wonder if this key works on other doors. <laughs> and so I start trying it on other doors and it starts unlocking every door to victory. Mm. And I remember walking into the main auditorium that seats, you know, 4,000, 5,000 people. And it had become emptier since my dad passed. And I sat on that stage and I wept and I thought, oh, my goodness, this whole time I've had the master key to victory and I didn't know I had it. And I had been questioning what the future looked like, whether or not I had what it takes. Why didn't my dad give me all the keys? But that night it dawned on me. He had given me the master key, but he didn't tell me. He wanted me to figure it out. And I remember like laughing and crying, like looking up at heaven, like this whole time, dad, I've had the master key and almost seeing my dad laugh like, duh, yes, son, you've had it. You've had it. And I stuck the key in my Bible and I turned to Colossians chapter one. And I looked at verse 27 that says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Mm. And I said, Christ in me is the master key mm. that unlocks the door to victory. And I remember just weeping and I preached a sermon that night to empty chairs. And I just said, not just me, but every believer has the master key to break free from every lie of the enemy. And I do believe that depression is not just a mental issue. I do believe it's a spiritual issue. And I do believe that a lot of the mental health issues we're seeing today, yes, we need doctors and we need medicine and we need counselors and therapists and we need all of that. But we absolutely need the spiritual side of dealing with mental health and emotional health. And so my book is a mixture. It's a mixture of the spiritual components of that master key that unlocks the door. But it's also a mixture of how God gives us practical tools through the help of humans and the help of medicine and the help of counseling and the help of community and so many other things, the help of rest and recreation and rhythm and things that, that I've learned through this process of continuing on the journey of mental and emotional healing. Sorry, that was a long answer. No, that was a great answer. I'm just sitting here going, what? I don't have anything to add. <laughs> we're, we're talking to Pastor well, if you want me to, I can talk a little bit more about well, that. Actually, we got we have to take a break. Uh, Pastor Paul Doherty has written this book. It's called Mind Games. And if you've been listening for the last couple of minutes, you can tell already that he's an amazing, an amazing storyteller. My name is Ben. I'm in for uh, Bill Arnold today. This is Afternoons with Bill. And the, the Mind Games, the winning the battle for your mental and emotional health. Pastor Paul, uh, hold on for just a second. I'm so sorry you went through all of those things, but I am so grateful that God has used you and brought you through and has revealed things to you. And I can't wait to talk to you next year in just a couple of minutes to give us some keys for people who are listening, especially with what you just said about um, the battle for depression also being a spiritual battle. And I also have a question about why the enemy attacks your mind and, and does it so forcefully. We'll talk about that next here on Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of The Afternoon Show. If you're a reader and you love Susie Larson, I've got quite an offer for you. She has written a new book called Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Towards Healing and Wholeness. And you're not going to believe this, but our friends at Thomas Nelson, the publisher, has said we will give you 100 copies of Susie Larson's brand new book to give away. And all you have to do to enter to win yours is to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Connecting faith to life, Faith Radio.
Are you struggling with depression? Are you feeling like you're not worth it? Maybe you're you're feeling um, shame or full of anxiety. Well, we're so grateful that you're here. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on listener-supported Faith Radio. My name is Ben. Today we're talking to Pastor Paul Doherty. He pastors a church, does a lot of things, has written this book uh, called Mind Games, Winning the Battle for Your Mental and Emotional Health. And, and he was just telling the story about how his life unfolded through the the death of his father and how his father had um, battled stage four cancer for over a year without telling absolutely anybody. And we're going to have some questions here, Paul. I know I got some questions, but before we get to those, I just want to ask, did you ever have the opportunity to ask your dad why he battled cancer for so long and ran a church of tons of people, a college, a, a grade school, a soup kitchen, like had this tremendous impact and hands in so many things, helping the poor and the sick and the needy and the widowed and the orphan all over Tulsa, but never shared what he was going through with anybody. Yeah, I did ask him. I was mad. And I was like, Dad, I could have been helping you for the last year. We all could have. Our family, our church, we could have rotated preachers. You could have taken time off and, you know, gotten help and gotten, you know, treatment sooner. And he honestly, I think that his generation, the way that he was raised by people that he admired was that they fought their battles privately. And he just said, you know, I honestly didn't want anyone adding worry or doubt to me. And I didn't want anyone worried about me. And he said, I was trying to fight this in my own faith. And I was trying to keep my faith and guard my faith by not letting anyone know about it. Cause if anyone knew about it, they might talk me out of, you know, what I was believing for. And I was like, dad, we could have helped you like, and he did say in the hospital, he said, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that I tried to fight this on my own and I didn't allow you guys in. And he said, when I get out of here, I'm going to change the way I live. I'm going to change the way I run, you know, the ministry. I'm going to be more hands off. I'm going to let other people carry the load. And he was like a Superman, you know, he wanted to carry it all so that he did apologize and he owned that. But I did see like, from that generation, there wasn't as much willingness to open up and talk about um, painful struggles that they were walking through, even like, of course, the sickness. But even later on, you know, my mom was telling me struggles that they walked through that we never knew about and they never talked about. And I think this generation is craving voices Amen. that will speak yeah. about their struggles and how we're going to get through it. Absolutely. Amen. Pastor Paul, this new book, Mind Games, Winning the Battle of Your Mental and Emotional Health. So many questions because I struggle with a lot of the same things that you're talking about. Um, and, and as believers, you mentioned the fact that um, that Satan attacks our minds, but yet we yes. we don't want to talk about it. And the church isn't really equipped necessarily to deal with it or it's a hard conversation. And so we just kind of shy away. And, and then it ends up being, well, 77 percent of Americans say that they feel alone. Uh, why is that? Why does the devil come after our brains? I think he knows if he can get in our heads, then he can stop our lives, that everything starts in the mind, right? All the good stuff starts in our in our minds. Everything we see here today that is good on the earth started as a thought, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That, you know, Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it springs the issues of life. And when we read in scripture, we recognize that the mind and the heart, the inner me, the inner you, 
is the most valuable, important part of our life because it's where if the enemy can get in there and mess us up with, like you said, loneliness, thinking I'm all alone, no one's there for me, then we live out of our thoughts. If we think defeated, we live defeated. If we think nobody loves me, then we don't call anybody. We don't invite anybody into our life. If we think I'm not valuable, we start walking towards those bridges. And I tell a story in my book where I I, I became so darkened in my thoughts that I was contemplating suicide. I was standing on a bridge thinking I'm better off just being gone. And I tell my story of how I had to overcome that. But I do think the enemy comes for our minds because he knows that the transformation begins in the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, verse two, you know, all the scriptures that deal with the thoughts, that's where that's where the victory is, is won is in the mind games. Pastor Paul Doherty, this is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. My name is Ben, and I'm filling in, and we're just having this conversation about the battle for your mind, your mental, your emotional health, this new book called Mind Game. And you mentioned a couple of minutes ago about uh, the depression, the kind of the emotional feelings being kind of a spiritual uh, health situation. Can you explain more of that for me? Yes. So we recognize we're like a three-part being, right? Body, soul, and spirit. And in that whole mix of that, we need the help from every angle. For me, I walked through these mental and emotional battles. And when I got on the other side of the battle, the the darkest battle I'd walked through, I think our whole lives, we're going to face battles. Like we never graduate battles. We, we just graduate one battle and go to the next one. And so my book is about dealing with the mind game specifically of depression, hopelessness, fear, anxiety, loneliness trapped in the comparison game and all of those mental and emotional battles are spiritual battles when jesus came to the earth one of the biggest things he dealt with was the mind and he crossed the sea of galilee just for one man's mind he when he came to the 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 area of the uh, where the man was running around in the tombs and mark chapter five and he's tormented by all these spirits in his mind his mind was a mess and Jesus heals this man's mind, and everybody says he looks completely different mm. because something changed on the inside. And when something changes on the inside, everything begins to change on the outside. If I get mentally and emotionally healthier, then my whole life is going to get healthier. And this is – I do believe this is a spiritual battle just as much as it is a mental and emotional mm. battle. The spiritual side of it is that we need – we need deliverance through the word of God, through the tools that God gives us. And this book is like, it's almost like a book of bringing healthy, healing deliverance from those feelings that we think we're stuck in of, uh, you know, loneliness, despair, discouragement, depression, sense of like things are never going to get better and I'm never going to see my best days. They're behind me. All of those thoughts and feelings they, they're wrestled out in the spirit just as much as they're wrestled out mentally and emotionally as well. Isn't it amazing how Jesus will leave the 99 to come and come after the one? And I find myself all the time, Pastor Paul Doherty, um, being the one. And Jesus comes and rescues me, brings me back, and then I'm so silly, I run off again and I find myself, uh, you know, uh, feet up in a ditch somewhere. And Jesus gently comes and rescues me, puts me back. Uh, and one thing that he revealed to me in my darkest moment was being happy and healthy in my mind, my body, and my soul. And if I'm not exercising all three of those things, I succumb to the loneliness, the despair, 
the, the depression, the anxiety, all of those things. And finding, like it says in James chapter 1, uh, being grateful, having a gratitude attitude, being grateful for all things, even the hard stuff. Because nowhere else in the Bible, Pastor Paul, does it say, then you will come to full maturity, right? And I know we only have a couple of minutes left. You're amazing. I'm going to tell Bill, Bill, you got to have Pastor Paul Doherty back on again on Faith Radio. Holy smokes, we only have 30 minutes with you. Um, what would you say to somebody, as we're down to the final couple of minutes here, what would you say to somebody who's listening right now, who's struggling with the same things that you've battled, that I've battled, um, and what would you say to somebody who who knows somebody who's, who's going through that, how they can show up for them? Yes. Well, one, I'm going to say never give up. Don't give up. Life is going to get better. And it's going to like things are going to turn around. We go through hard seasons, but hard seasons don't last forever. Things begin to lift and things begin to change. And there's light at the end of the tunnel. And the enemy is a liar. The devil wants to convince you that things will never get better. And I just want to speak this to whoever's out there listening. Life is going to get better. That doesn't mean you're never going to face problems and troubles and trials, but you can't face those troubles and trials and problems from a defeated mindset. You've got to get the victory today. And it is possible. It is possible to take authority back over your mind, to get your mind back, to get your heart beating again, to get your joy back, your laughter and I just encourage any person out there that knows somebody who's struggling with just mental and emotional problems, whether it is depression, anxiety, panic attacks, PTSD, whatever the issues are, that you would just invest in their life. Give them this book. Give them the Mind Games book. Let them know that some guy out there is praying for them and speaking life over them and believing that they have victory over the battlefield of their mind. And I just encourage any person today who's got a family member that's battling depression. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Don't just pray for them. Call them, text them, encourage them, love them, and just believe they're going to get through this. They're going to come on the other side of this. I, I'm so thankful for my friends and family who were there for me through that time, speaking life and encouraging me that one day I was going to have a testimony. And today that book is is out, that testimony of overcoming it mm. and walking in victory. Mind Games, winning the battle for your mental and emotional health. Pastor Paul Doherty, Victory Church, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Every morning I pray that God puts somebody in my life to remind me how good he is. And he answered my prayer with this conversation. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be with y'all. Bless you. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. My name is Ben, and you are listening to Faith Radio. So many times we have conversations with people. So many times we find ourselves in relationship with people. So many times we find ourselves in situations that are really hard. But God is calling us into those hard situations and those hard conversations. And today we're going to talk about um, meeting people where they are, especially as they mourn, and walking into their fires, and we're going to talk to Pastor Jonathan Borman. Uh, he's a pastor of St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Mankato, Minnesota. And I had the opportunity to uh, cross paths with him this last April when my grandfather had passed away. And, and, and Pastor Borman has now pastored this church that has been there for years and years. My mom was born there, baptized there, confirmed there. My parents were married there. I was baptized there as, a, as an infant 
Um, and throughout the history of this church, I want to say there's one, two, three. I think he's the fourth pastor. Um, but I had I never met him before because I don't I don't get down to that church very often. But the way that that my family talked about this pastor and how he showed up for my family and not knowing my grandpa very well because he's newer to St. Mark's Lutheran in Mankato, Minnesota, absolutely blew my mind. And it it reminded me of Romans 12 and just the marks of a true Christian. And I'm going to read from verse 9 here for a while, and it, it just, I just want to remind you, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what's good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And those verses epitomize for me, Pastor Jonathan Borman. And so thank you for joining and coming on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today, Pastor Borman. Oh, what a joy, Ben. What a joy. Thank you so much for having me. So as I was reading Romans 12 this morning and and, and how you remind me of the, the true marks of, of being a Christian, and I know you want to talk about John chapter 11 and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and Lazarus passing away and, and all the relationships um, that are in that chapter. Can you tell me, as a Christian, how you show up for people in ways, in such a tender way, like you did for my family. And I know you didn't have a, a long standing because you've been a pastor at, at St. Mark's Lutheran in Mankato, Minnesota for how long now? Boy, a uh, year and a half okay. now. But as my my parents and, and my aunts and uncles were sitting there with you planning the funeral for my grandfather, you wept with my family. Hmm. Yes, I did. <laughs> so tell me, when the Bible says, weep with those who weep, how do you do that? How do you show up in such a tender way? Because oftentimes in hard situations, we don't know what to say. We don't want to show up and take over the conversation, though sometimes, just as broken people, we make the conversation about us or, you know, hey, my, my dad died too. And when my, you know, how do you show up? Like Paul is talking to talking to us about in in Romans twelve to to be happy with those who are happy and to weep with those who weep. You know, Ben, uh, I remember I remember sitting with your family and and it was a grace it was a grace from God to be able to to be with them and even as it is with you right now. And to answer your question directly, there's um what I try to do and I only do this with the spirit is I try to attend to people like I attend to the word. So like I, there's Jesus, I have Jesus in my mind. He, his quotes are so powerful, but he says, um, he'll talk about sometimes about having eyes to see and ears to hear and first and primarily to him. So I want to have eyes that see and ears that hear but then when I go out into the world and I try, it's what I'm trying to do is represent him 
in whatever calling I have in a situation. What I'm doing in those situations to the very best of my ability, and I'm so failed, but what I'm trying to do is I am trying to attend to people the way I think that he would. And they're going to be in different places. Everybody is in a different place. But what I'm trying to do is I, sometimes I'll even sit there and pray in a moment, mm. you know, Lord, help them express, because sometimes we don't even have language for this. And I have to see it in their body or something like that. But I'm, a, I'm trying to have ears that hear and eyes that see so that I can attend to them, you know, like a physician and, and see what's really going on. Pastor Borman, for those of us who haven't been through seminary or aren't pastors, but we're, we're called as Christians to, to have the eyes that see and the ears that hear. How do you do that? As a, just a, a, a lay person, a, a Christian, as somebody who loves Jesus like crazy and wants to show up for people who are rejoicing or weeping? Well, let me, this is where I think that John 11 can help us. Yeah. Uh, I think I think models are important. I actually think categories uh, can be helpful. They can be detrimental if we're too rigid with them. But I think categories can be helpful. And I I think that John eleven is uh, is a helpful model. And so, um, and, and I actually think at some level it's why it's why it's there. Uh, like if I could if I could just prompt us into that story quickly. Here's one of the things that I think is really interesting about John 11. There you get a resurrection. Uh, famously, you get the resurrection of Lazarus. And um, one of the things that's interesting about it is we never, <laughs> at least from a modern uh, perspective, we never hear from Lazarus. We never hear from Lazarus. Like, what is your experience um, of, of going to heaven and back? Now, Especially for us modern people, is very that's that's a very interesting, even provocative point. Because when when I first got into the ministry, one of the big one of the big books was Heaven Is for Real, and 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 I I get that. You know, we we want to know what heaven is like. We want to we want to know it's real. We want to we want to know what that experience is like. Um, Alfred Lord Tennyson, he's a poet, and uh, he wrote a line that that was provocative to me on on John eleven. He said, behold, a man raised up by Christ. The rest remained unrevealed. He told it not. And so that's that's Alfred Lord Tennyson, the poet. And he's thinking about the fact that the story of John 11 is not Lazarus coming back telling us what heaven is like. Instead, we get the story of how Jesus ministers to grief. Very, very famously, we get this. Because what happens is you get uh, two women, uh, Mary and Martha, who are responding to the death of Lazarus. And they are both responding to it um, in different ways. And in fact, if you read the story very, very carefully, you get them saying the exact same thing. They say the exact same thing um, when they get, when they actually um, approach Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet, Jesus responds to them in two different ways. And doing some analysis of that, I think, is is very, very helpful um, for us Christians. Can you help us do some analysis of that as we're 
in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus first being ill. Uh, Jesus gets word that he's he's ill, and he says, you know, he waits for a couple of days, right? After two days, he said to his disciples, let's return to Judea again. And he says, Lazarus is in a deep sleep. Well, if he's in a deep sleep, the disciples think that, you know, well, that's great because he's just going to get better. And then Jesus tells them plainly that Lazarus has died, and for your sakes, I'm I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe Let's go to him. So would you help us do some analysis as we dig into John chapter 11? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll do my best. I, so Martha, of course, uh, uh, for some of our listeners, if you don't know this, if you do know this, um, that's awesome. Martha, very famously, very busy, active figure. You do see that play itself out here in John 11 as well. So Martha... Uh, gets the news of, about Jesus, he's coming, and she rushes to him right away. Mary doesn't. I want to do a little analysis of that later. We'll stay with Martha here. Uh, Martha goes to him, says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, would not have died. And that's a very Martha thing to do. She's She's got, she's moving, she's active. She's got some questions about, in, in, about why Lazarus died. And, and, I think when she goes to Jesus says, Lord, if you had been here, that's a bit of a needle. You know, mm. Lord, yeah. Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I want to understand. Um, you do have this same sort of idea of a search for understanding in verse 36 of John 11 as well. So they look at Jesus who loves Lazarus mm. and, 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 and people say, look, he really loved Lazarus. And then they say, um, he healed other, you know, he healed other people. Why didn't, why didn't he heal Lazarus? What's up with that? He healed the blind man. And what's happening here is you have faith seeking understanding. And and, and it's a, I would say it's actually a very classic theological puzzle that a Greek philosopher gave us named Epicurus. And he asked the question is, is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Is God able, but not willing and we so and, and the point here is people are wanting to understand some people martha here is wanting to make sense of this in her head and so that's the first this is one category i can give you is some people are going to try to make sense of their suffering sense make sense of the death in their in their life they want to understand what in the world is going on and one thing i just give just a quick note on that People can either, when they're seeking for understanding intellectually, and they're kind of in their heads with their grief, they can either be on the question side of that, or they can be on the answer side of that. And both of that, both of those things need to be ministered to. Mm. So I'll, I'll give you an example of being on the question side of wanting an answer. I, I, I remember ministering to a, to a woman, um, had just had sort of fell madly in love, madly in love. Um, and it was a beautiful romance. I married them, everything. And then um, the husband got very tragically got cancer and he was he was taken very quickly. Mm. Very, very sad. And and this was a person who remained for quite a while on, on the question side. God, why? Why? Why would you allow me to fall so deeply in love and then and then take my husband? I don't, I don't get that. And and so she was just grappling for for the why. And, and then 
on the other side of that, people can can be on the answer side of it, Ben. This is what I found, where you will have people who have very ready explanations for what happened. Um, and almost almost like they're satisfying, like he lived a good life or it was time or it was a relief, the suffering is over. And now I want to say this, uh, praise be to Jesus that, that his people die and go to heaven mm. and pray, praise be to his holy name. But the, keep in mind, there's a sense in which that is still inadequate. Like we're not supposed to be separated. We are not supposed supposed to die. We resurrection is the hope. And just to illustrate that, uh, there's a there's a novel uh, called The Bridge to Terabithia, and that 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 novel helped me grapple with the inadequacy of explanations of death. Because it, what it did, it was so tragic. You know, this this little girl goes to world by herself and she drowns. And I remember how sad I was as a kid because there I was. I was confronted by death. And it there was just no explanation that was going to do it. Uh, and so there's where Martha's at. She she wants to understand. So that's the first category, Ben. Okay. We need to take a quick break. Pastor Jonathan Borman is our guest today. We're talking about grief. We're talking about weeping with those who weep. And we're really diving into the story of Lazarus falling ill, Jesus with Mary and Martha, and then Jesus showing up at Lazarus' tomb. We just did an analyzation of, of Martha and how she showed up to Jesus and how Jesus responded to her and then Mary comes at it in a different way, and Jesus responds to her in a different way. We'll talk more about that with Pastor Jonathan Borman. He's the pastor of St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Mankato, Minnesota. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold, and I'm Ben, filling in today on Faith Radio. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, and right now, there are kids in desperate need of Jesus, food and medical care. This is your time to become their champion, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope in their heart and you work together with people on the ground to change the families, communities, and the future of these kids. You might not be able to change the world, but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids. Find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Jesus is mourning. He's deeply disturbed. He's troubled. We're in John chapter 11 this afternoon on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Lazarus is sick. Jesus waits for a couple of days before uh, arriving at the tomb. And he'd been in the tomb. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And Mary and Martha um, show up. And Jesus and, and Martha, we've been talking about the fact that Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. So Martha, as we know in the stories of the Bible, she's kind of a, she's really busy. She's got a lot of stuff on her to-do list and she shows up to Jesus in this way. And Jesus just shows up with her very tenderly. And we're talking about, about not only this story in John chapter 11, but we're also talking about weeping with those who weep. 
And I believe as Christians, we are called to run into people's fires. And as people, though, as people, when there's a fire, we want to run away from fire because it's uncomfortable and it's, it doesn't seem emotionally safe. But how can we weep with those who weep? And Pastor Jonathan Borman from St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Mankato, Minnesota, um, has a tremendous, tender heart. When I see him, I have to squint because I see the light of Jesus coming out of him. And I'm just so honored that he took the time to talk with us today about weeping with those who weep and how to show up in tender places because he's done it over and over and over again for family after family, mine included. Never experienced a a pastor who's shown up the way that he has. And so I'm grateful that he took the time this afternoon to hang out with us and talk to us about that tenderness that we're called um, as Christians. So Pastor Borman, we've kind of analyzed how Mary, or excuse me, Martha showed up with Jesus and kind of needled him a little bit and how Jesus responded to her. Let's look at, at how Jesus um, interacted with Mary now. Lazarus is dead. He's in the tomb. Uh, he hasn't been raised yet. That's kind of where the setting is, is where we are in cha- uh, chapter 11 of John. Well, Martha, like we said, Martha's in her head. Mary, I would say, is in her heart. Hmm. If, if Martha's intellectualizing the loss, Mary is uh, feeling her loss. Hmm. And uh, Jesus you get the sense this read it everybody has to read it for themselves but i get the sense that mary is suffering some kind of emotional paralysis martha goes mary doesn't go with her Mm. but then and and this is so beautiful you you just have to read this with some depth depth as you often do with john but jesus sends martha to mary and martha says the teacher is here and is asking for you and when that happens, it's almost like Mary's uh, emotional paralysis is broken. She rushes to Jesus. Other people notice how quickly she goes, actually, the text says. And when she gets there, uh, it, it just, it all comes out of her. She is um, overwhelmed in her emotions. Clearly, she's weeping. I mean, this is the bad kind of weeping. We definitely get the sense that she's choking out the words, my brother, as she repeats um, Martha's, uh, the word, same words that Martha had for Jesus. And so here she is, she is so much in her emotions, you could say. And then uh, Jesus, I want to focus on this just for a second. Jesus responds to these two uh, ways of grieving in two different ways. And in John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus there wept. Mm. There's a lot there, Ben. There's a lot there. And the, whoo! Mm. <laughs> what is, look, let's, l- let me go at this real straight. It is a legitimate act of love just to cry with somebody. So, look, J- Jesus doesn't say anything. He, now he does to Martha. He doesn't to Mary. Isn't that something? Mm. It is legitimate ministry uh, to simply weep with those who weep. You gave you gave us the verse before, Ben. Um, it doesn't. It, he doesn't explain anything. He just he gives him, he gives her himself and his tears in the moment. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. It, <clears throat> ben, I don't know how much time we have, but look, I, I was. This, this is really important. I think. I was at the seminary. Somebody's seminary professor got this wrong. I realize this now. 
But it, I would say this, just go at this, strong, this strongly. It is a shallow or pseudo-Christianity that fails to acknowledge that that is a legitimate ministry. Um, I had a seminary professor that said you shouldn't, told pastors you shouldn't cry in front of everybody. I mm -hmm. think that's wrong. Jesus cried in front of everybody. Uh, he gave Mary his tears. I saw something on social media the other day, and it was a prayer written out, and it said, Dear God, and it had five teardrops on the page, and it said, Amen. Mmm, that's powerful. When did, when did Joman and his friends mess up? When they started talking. <laughs> mm. Right. Words you get in the way. They, they certainly get in the way, don't they? And oftentimes, when the Bible calls us to weep, when people are weeping, weep with them. Um, and we've been talking about this tenderness that you have, that that's the reason why we wanted you on with Afternoons with Bill Arnold today, because you show up, and I want to be like you, because uh, I feel like you're exemplifying what Jesus would do in that tenderness. But we're called to show up as Christians. We're called to show up and we're called to weep with those who weep. And Jesus gave us the, the best example. Jesus wept. And so if, if there's somebody in your neighborhood or there's somebody in your relationship sphere or your sphere of influence who's really struggling, I'm begging you today to show up and weep with them. And I'm not saying like cry on demand. That's something different. But sometimes it's not words. Sometimes it's just being there. And that's hard for us to do as people, but I believe God is calling us to it. And I believe it's a really powerful ministry. And I'm grateful for the last 25, 30 minutes that Pastor Jonathan Borman has shared with us today. He's a pastor, St. Mark's Lutheran Church. Um, look him up this Sunday. Uh, watch one of his sermons. Um, when I can't go to my church, he's the one that I'm watching. Pastor, um, we're down to the final 30 seconds. Any words that you want to leave us with? A ministry of presence, you know, we just got done, um, all of us Christians just got done the fact that Jesus became incarnate, mm. and he was able to have a ministry of presence with us because by his death and resurrection, he has made it possible and even a promise that we will have presence with each other in resurrection life forever. And uh, that's why we get to have presence with each other. I love that idea that that it can be a ministry. It can be a legitimate ministry just to witness somebody else's pain. Amen. Thanks for having me on, Ben. What a, what a grace. Amen. What a blessing. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.